You are listening to episode eight of the So Driven podcast. Today you are in for a true treat. Our guest on the show is Laura Roder, a serial entrepreneur, woman in tech, a mum of two, founder of Meet Edgar, an online social media scheduling tool, founder of newly launched Paperbell, a new software for coaches helping them schedule and sell their coaching packages, and co-creator of the infamous B-School with Marie Folio. Laura was named one of the top 100 entrepreneurs under 30 in 2011, 2013, 2014, and even spoke about entrepreneurship at the White House. I really wasn't knowing what to expect at the start of this interview, and what I came to find was an ambitious woman, funny, adventurous, serious about her work, but lighthearted in knowing that at the end of the day, it really all doesn't matter. I found talking to Laura inspirational, as I do with all my guests on the programme. To me, she completely embodies the notion of what it means to be an entrepreneur and so driven. This is Laura's story. You are listening to the So Driven podcast with me, your host, Serena Dodd. Each week, we will dive deep into the inner workings of leaders. We will talk about their story, their challenges, their triumphs, and ultimately what drives that quest for success. Wanting to listen to a corporate type of approach to leadership? I'm afraid you're in the wrong place. Here, we like to be raw, a bit silly, progressive, and 100% unconventional. Laura, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. How is life now that you're living in the UK? You've been here a couple of years, right? Yeah, I am American. I've been in the UK for a little over two years. Obviously, COVID has been happening, you know, for a lot of that year, this year. Uh, but it, even even with all that, you know, I'm, I'm loving being here. I moved from Central Texas is the last place that I lived. And there's not a ton of natural beauty there. It's sort of dry and hot and scrubby. So even with everything that's been happening, it's so wonderful to be able to get out and take a drive during the times when we're allowed to do that, which is sometimes, you know, take a drive and see the beautiful English countryside. So I'm loving it. Great. And how was the transition? You have a young family. They came over to, is it two kids that you have? I was pregnant with my little girl when we moved. Okay. So I have a five-year-old and a now two-year-old. Gosh. And how was that adaptation coming over? It was easy for them. You know, they've, well, obviously one was in my stomach, not knowing what was happening. So she was fine with it. Um, And yeah, my son already had moved a few times and traveled a lot and he visited his family here. So it was, he's, he's very adaptable. He switched his accent within about six weeks. He went from having an American accent to a British accent. So it's just, it's so amazing how adaptable they are at that age. That must be quite strange for you, just being in America and having most of your life there, having a child that has, he's probably going to grow up with quite a British accent. Well, it's very cute. I think it's really cute. (laughs) You mentioned COVID earlier. I know you really, really like to travel. How has this time Mm -hmm. been for you and your family not being able to travel that much? Yeah, it's, it's been hard. We actually have got a little bit of travel and we went to Italy for a week about two weeks ago. Um, which for anyone listening is okay. At <laughs> the time we went, we didn't go rogue or anything. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely not what we're used to, not traveling. And of course, the much harder part is being home all the time. 
with a two-year-old and a five-year-old. You know, my husband and I have been trading off when we work and when we watch the kids. Um, right now we have a nanny so who comes to our house. So we actually do have time away from small screaming people. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been really challenging as a mom of, of two young kids trying to make it all happen. And, you know, I'm so lucky and have so much flexibility. I have so many friends that are just them and their partner are both somehow having to work full time remotely while their kids just watch TV all day because that's just the only option. Okay. So I have so much more flexibility than a lot of people have. And it's still just been very, very challenging. I mean, for anyone out there who doesn't know you and doesn't know what you do, can you just describe who you are yeah. and what you've been up to over the past sort of five, six years? Yeah, so I am, I guess, uh, a serial entrepreneur. So I've been working for myself um, my whole career since I was about 22. I've been self-employed in various businesses uh, and have never looked back. Uh, so I started out doing freelance design and web design, and then I moved to doing some social media marketing and online marketing consulting, which really quickly turned into doing online courses. So I've been doing online courses since uh, about 2008. So I was quite early um, on that whole thing. And then in 2014, I launched my first SaaS with software company, which is Meet Edgar, a social media marketing automation tool. And then uh, just a few months ago this year, I launched Paperbell, which is another software company that serves coaches, uh, business coaches, life coaches, not sports coaches, but any other <laughs> type of coaches, you know, that help people one-on-one -on -one or in groups. And we manage basically managing your whole coaching business. So payment, scheduling, client management, uh, one place to kind of run your coaching business. Yeah, I've literally just learned the term SaaS. So can you explain <laughs> that? It's not to anyone else, to me. <laughs> yeah, so SaaS stands for software as a service. And it's actually kind of funny. Now it's a bit of a dated term because now basically all the software we use is SaaS, uh, software as a service, because as a service basically means that it's being provided on an ongoing basis. You're paying a monthly or yearly fee. That's the kind of service part. So we're doing an ongoing service for you. It's also the idea that SaaS software often replaces something that maybe you paid a person or a team to do in the past so that we're, you know, with uh, Paperbell, we're providing a service that maybe if you didn't have Paperbell, a virtual assistant is doing for you. Um, and in the past, software was something that you had to come physically install on your servers and you'd pay this one-time fee, really expensive to get all the software set up. So basically when the internet and SaaS came along, software became something that is hosted online, hosted in the cloud, and that you pay an ongoing fee to access. Interesting. Have you always wanted to be in the world of tech? Was that your sort of dream as you were going through university? Yeah, you know, I'm 36. So I'm kind of that first age to really have the internet uh, as, as a child. We had America Online when I was in fourth or fifth grade. Um, I started creating websites, you know, then it was just hand coding HTML when I was like 12. So I've always been a very tech savvy 
person. So yeah, it's not a big surprise to be running a, a software company now. Do you feel it's still quite a male dominated industry? Yes, Yeah. <laughs> definitely. I mean, so is being an entrepreneur, you know, uh, when it's still so common to go to business events and be the only woman at the event, the only woman at the dinner. Uh, and yeah, software in particular, you know, I go to a few conferences or am in some online spaces for the software industry and very often there'll be, you know, less, less than 10 women or something in this whole huge space. So yes, unfortunately it's, it's very male dominated. I mean, you met your husband who is a software developer traveling. Have you learned a lot from him by doing business together over the years? Yes, so he uh, co-created both of the software businesses that I've mentioned with me. So he's a developer, which means he's the person that actually codes and builds the software. I'm not a developer, so, you know, I, I don't even know how to make, to code a website anymore. I used to know how to do that. If you wanted me to make a 2008 website, I could make it, but I don't know how to code a 2020 website. So. Uh, I don't do any of the code. He does all of that side. And yeah, meeting him, it was really the catalyst for creating a software business because basically Meet Edgar uh, does as a service, software as a service, what we were kind of teaching people to do manually on their own. So I used to have a course that was my business before Meet Edgar was social media marketing courses where I would teach people this methodology of how to manage and grow their social media marketing. So basically my husband, Chris came along and said, why are people doing all this manually? They could just have software that does everything you're teaching them to do manually. Software could just do for them. And I said, well, then build it. Sounds <laughs> good. Build it. And that's, that's what he did. So you came up with the idea, he built it and then you market it. Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I'm the marketing side um the running the business side you know meet edgar um he hasn't been involved with for a while he basically built the initial product and then helped to hire the development team and kind of stepped away from that and now i've stepped away from meet edgar as well we have a team that runs that runs the day-to-day -day of that and i'm really focused on on paper bell now Okay, so for anyone who, again, doesn't know who Meet Edgar is, we're not talking about a person, but an online platform, what would be your elevator pitch? What is the problem that you're solving in Meet Edgar? Yeah, so the problem that Meet Edgar solves is really for the entrepreneur who is doing their social media marketing themselves. So when we say we specialize in small business, you know, sometimes you read things about quote unquote small businesses and they're like, oh, they only have 80 employees. It's like, no, we're talking about, you know, the small business. I'm sure a lot of listeners to this podcast where it's a one person business. Maybe you have a few part-time people that you work with. That is really who Meet Edgar is designed for. So what makes us really different is we're really focused on automation and time saving because we know social media is so overwhelming can be so time consuming if you let it. So we're really looking at, okay, how can an entrepreneur really leverage their time as much as possible and really have software do as much as it can to do all the social media marketing promoting so that you can focus on the relationship building. You know, we always say, let software do what software can do so that you can do what only humans can do, which is connecting with people, building relationships. But as far as just um, you know, pulling images from your blog post, pulling quotes from your blog post to post, and then making sure it goes out on all the social networks. 
people who read your updates don't know if Edgar sent it or you sent it on your phone or your VA sent it, right? It really doesn't matter how it gets sent out. It just matters that it's your great content. So our point of view is automate absolutely everything that you can, all the parts that are invisible to your audience so that you actually have time to go in there and do the human side. And have you found in recent years, because you started what that 2014, have you found in recent years that you've had any competitors along the way? Oh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we, have, we have tons of competitors and we weren't the first, you know, we weren't the first tool in the space. We were the first to do it the way um, that we do, where something really unique about us is that you have a whole library of your yeah. content. So with a lot of the other tools like Buffer or Hootsuite, which both existed when we launched, you just kind of put an update in and it goes out to your network, but then you have to keep starting from zero. Where with me and Edgar, you have an organized library uh, of all your content. Well, um, and yeah, we've had many competitors. Yeah, I mean, the first one I ever heard was Planoly. And I think what really differentiated, I, I actually heard about me, Edgar from uh, Susie Moore. And um, then I started to explore it. And I felt that that was sort of your USP, really, the fact that you could upload all this information and it organizes it for you so that it can just automatically churn it out exactly. into, into the world. So if anyone's gone on to meet Edgar, you see a little octopus as your logo. Why Edgar? Why the octopus? So the name Edgar came from, so, you know, while you're building products sort of behind the scenes, you have to have some way to talk about, you know, the product or the project or whatever. And so for somehow it just came to be that my husband and I, we've had a few of these sort of ideas and projects over the years. Some of them become something, some don't, some of them don't. And we started calling them by people's names and the names were always really old fashioned and had to sound like a grandpa or a grandma um, and Edgar, you know, no offense to any strapping young Edgars out there, but <laughs> Edgar sounded like it got a grandpa name to us. We started calling the project Edgar. And then we got to the point where it's like, okay, this is great. This is working. This is going to be a thing that we're going to launch. We have to come up with a business name. So we're going through this whole process of brainstorming and we have all these names that I thought were sort of cheesy startup, you know, social spinner, social activator, you know, whatever. We have all these names and I'm like, I just don't, I don't like any of these names. And what I had also noticed is that all my friends who I had told about the project would call it Edgar and remember, they'd be like, what, are you still working on Edgar? And I'd be like, it's not called Edgar, but yeah. We're still Please don't call it Edgar. Don't exactly. call it Edgar. I will come up with something exactly. more professional than Edgar. <laughs> yes, exactly. Stop calling it that. So I'm like, man, it must be kind of memorable if people are still calling it Edgar. I'm like, wouldn't it be sort of funny if we just called it Edgar and then we could always refer to the software as he, you know, instead of you picturing software doing something for you, we're like, oh, well, Edgar is just handling your, so yeah, just put it in the library and then Edgar will just take care of it for you. And so we just kind of loved the idea and we thought it would be sort of fun and memorable. Meet Edgar was the domain available. So that became uh, the company name, which also helps with the personification. So and then an octopus. I, I, since then, I've actually found a lot of companies using this idea of the octopus. I think, I don't know if they copied us or we weren't very Jeez. creative or probably both. <laughs> I'm sure it's a serval offense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people have the same idea that you picture an octopus as 
having all the arms that can do a lot of things at the same time. So yeah, it's become a really fun part of our brand that we can become a little bit more casual and a little bit more silly. You know, we have Edgar is my boyfriend stickers that people love. We have Edgar socks that people love. So yeah, I think I think it was a great move to make a brand that was a little You do more realize at some point as you as you grow the business and then you start having business relationships and business babies, one of them will be called Edgar <laughs> at some point. I'm the Some Edgar point. babies. <laughs> um, when you started building Meet Edgar, was there a turning point where you went from sort of, it was you and your husband to, okay, now not only do we need one person, but we how many do you have in your team now? Now we have, I think, 14. Um, and when we started, actually, there was a small team that already existed from my course business because that was that was a large, relatively speaking, you know, large turnover business for, for its space. So there was a team of, I don't know, like five people um, serving that business. So we just transferred and, and we ran both for a while, for a while we had the course business and meet Edgar. And the idea was, oh, this will be great. They'll feed each other. You know, people will sign up for the courses and then do the software and vice versa. And uh, basically we found that we just, and I just in particular loved the SaaS model a lot more than the course model. Also, the SaaS business just really took off very quickly. You know, we were at a million in reoccurring revenue by the end of year one. It was a really fast growing business. So yeah. uh, about, I don't know, a year and a half after we launched, we decided to stop doing the courses. And actually now we've sort of brought them back in some ways. If you look up... Um, Meet Edgar courses or Meet Edgar on Teachable is the platform we use. You can find that we're now, um, we've updated and we're offering some of our old courses now for free, uh, just as a way to educate small businesses on social media marketing and of course lead gen for us. So it's kind of fun that it's come full circle. But yeah, we did have a small team from the beginning working on both and then working on just Meet Edgar. With courses, often you spend a lot of time where it's you're fronting it. And I suppose right. when you have SaaS, you're able to kind of like you're doing now, step away from it yeah. and it can still keep running and growing. What was the turning point for you where you went, okay, this has got some legs on it, for want of a better mm -hmm. word, and this is really going to grow now? It was very obvious right from the beginning because we just kept getting more and more customers. And you know, I'm a big believer in the only real proof you can have of a business is paying customers. It doesn't matter what people say about the idea. It doesn't matter what feedback you get, because I see a lot of people talking about, you know, in the world of like software and startups, it's, it's called validation is this term. People will talk about validating your idea. And obviously it's smart to do some sort of research beforehand about if the market is interested or not. But I've just found that you just never really know until you accept that first payment and see, you know, if, if more payments come, because I'll see things people are saying about, you know, getting people on a mailing list, for example. And it's like, well, people might be excited about the idea that you're pitching, but that's very different than actually being willing to pay for the software and use the software. And even now that Edgar is, you know, successful by all measures, and we have thousands of customers. It's not like when I tell people about Meet Edgar that I meet at a conference, people are like, that's amazing. I mean, some people are like, oh, I've been looking for something like this. Great. But, 
you know, most people don't have any sort of big reaction. Some people will be like, oh, that sounds, you know, like I wouldn't like that or tell me something that's wrong with it. <laughs> something, you know, it's just, I think sometimes people have a false idea of what it's going to, how you can know when that turning point is. So for me, that turning point was just, we were doubling in customers every month and it started out slow. You know, our first month we had like 20 customers. So then it's like, okay, 20 and then 80 and then 150. And it's like, wow, people just keep coming to this. And actually in Paperbell, it has been different because we were able to leverage that big audience that I built. And we were able to have a big launch with Paperbell where we got hundreds of people in the door right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So actually the ongoing growth has been much, much slower because we sort of captured everyone in right. that audience not, day yeah. one. And now we have to do things like spread our wings to new people. Um, but that first launch for Paperbell was again, paying customers, not just like interest, not free trials or whatever, paying customers. So for me, that's always the turning point is like, okay, are people willing to actually pay for this? That's how I know that it's working. How were you getting the word out? So with me, Edgar, I did have, I had already been doing the social media marketing course business for, I mean, quite a five plus years at that point. So I did have a good sized audience. But what I didn't do that I learned from and did differently is I had this idea in my head for me, Edgar, of, oh, we're going to test a bunch of different things to come up with the best strategy. So it's like, okay, so we'll, we're going to segment our list and we're going to test this offer for this person and that offer for that person. But because of that, we didn't have like a big public launch and you can see that in our numbers because like i said the first month we didn't have lots of people it was the 20 then 40 then 100. so i felt like that was a mistake in retrospect um and this is kind of a marketing philosophy of mine in general i'm not a big believer in doing a lot of segmentation because if you're a small business you and it's like okay i'm gonna test six landing pages like well one you don't have enough traffic to all six of them and it's like oh no now you have to keep all the stuff updated you know you have like i've just seen so many entrepreneurs it's like now they have the six different autoresponder sequences related to all the different landing pages it has been updated for three years so i'm a believer in put whatever you think is going to be the most successful as the main thing so your highest converting page should be your home page instead of testing three different email sequences just keep improving one just whatever ideas you have send it to your, and also list segmentation. I'm like, if they're on the list, they're interested in the product, send it to everybody. We don't need to do a bunch of segmenting. Like they're either want to buy it or they don't. So if we have some way to help them buy it. Just like send it to everybody. Um, so that, so we did start out, you know, with our audience in Meet Edgar, but with Paperbell, I'm like, okay, I'm going to capture, I'm going to do a bigger launch and capture as many people as we can right from the beginning. Yeah. Does your team cross over now from me, Ego and Paperbell? No. They're two separate teams. No. Yeah, we've kept it. We've kept it totally separate. And part of the reason for that is actually one of my reasons for creating a new business is to have a business that's based in um, the UK or Europe. We might, you know, we haven't done any hiring yet, so we're not sure. But basically, a business in these time zones because uh, the time zone thing was a huge problem for me moving to the UK. A lot of our team is on the West Coast. You know, by the time it's 9 a.m. in the West Coast, it's 35 p.m. here in the UK. I have little kids. I can't work from 5 to 7 p.m. That's dinner time, bath time, bedtime. Um, so knowing that I'm now here in the UK, I really wanted to have another business that could really have the whole team based here. 
all your team, even when you were in the US, were they remote? Remote, but all in the US. Did you meet them face to face? I mean, I, th I think for yes. a lot of businesses, they would sort of, I suppose traditional businesses would mentally struggle with having mm -hmm. their whole team remote. Of course, now COVID has really helped this, right. but um, as I think probably transformed the way that they work by five years. But is there a downside to that as well? Yeah, I mean, so I've always run all my companies completely remote. We've never had any kind of offices of any kind. Uh, so it's, it's the only thing I've known for me, it wasn't even that deliberate. It's just that I always moved around and traveled a lot. So I wasn't going to start a business in a city that I wasn't going to, to stay in. It just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Uh, so, you know, I, I love a lot of things about remote. Obviously we've been very well primed this year because everything's remote already. Although there still have been huge challenges because, you know, people have a lot going on with their lives. It's not working remotely with your three kids now running around the room. It's very different than working remotely when you had childcare and school and stuff for all, yeah. <laughs> all your kids. I was just one example. People have a lot of other things going on too. Um, so yeah, you know, I think the biggest downside to remote is that you don't have so much opportunity for those sort of brainstorming, noodling, type of conversations, you know, when you're remote, every meeting is scheduled, which can be really great for efficiency and getting things done. But what you do miss out on to a degree is just, you know, when you have lunch with someone and you just start chatting about things and then you start chatting about this idea and the strategy and then it turns into like, oh, actually, maybe that's something we could really apply to our business. You have to kind of create the spaces for those conversations and it is a bit less organic. Yeah. Well, now that you've started Paper Bell, what have you taken from your experience from Me Edgar that you are bringing into Paper Bell? Oh man, so, so many, I mean, <laughs> so many things. I'm trying to think of, of where to start. I mean, um, one thing with Paper Bell is being really focused on uh, a niche, which is something that we haven't done with Meet Edgar. We, we sort of do, like I said, our niche is uh, very small businesses. We have a lot of freelancers, but we don't have an industry niche the way we do with Paperbell. And having an industry niche just makes it a lot easier to focus your advertising and your marketing because you have a very specific group of people that you're trying to reach. You have, uh, like there's a great book, um, by Chet Holmes called The Ultimate Sales Machine. And he talks about this idea of just literally making a list of all of your best potential customers and calling them all. So he's talking about businesses, you know, that maybe, so you can do that if you serve all the law firms in your area, or you can do that if you serve, uh, you know, beverage bottling companies that do this volume per year. You can't do that if you serve freelancers, solopreneurs, and small businesses of all types. There's just, there's no, <laughs> there's yeah. no list and, you know, it's too small of a price point anyway to call them all. So that is a challenge in Meet Edgar, where with Paperbell, it's like, okay, there are coaching certification programs. There are coaching federations. Like we still are not a sales model where we're calling individual coaches, but there is a sort of list for our industry 
that we can go down. So that's one thing that I have done differently with this business. And did it feel weird launching during COVID? Yes. (laughs) It felt very weird. Um, And, you know, it was interesting because we do have a business that's extremely COVID friendly because Mm. we're not just focused on coaches. We're all focused on online coaching. We are specifically for coaches that are working online, you know, usually with Zoom, working with their, their clients that way. So we certainly weren't in a, you know, it's not like we were trying to open a gym, right? We were fortunately and randomly a business that does work very well in COVID. But the problem is just sort of the um, tone that you take with marketing, right? Like we all had to look at, you can't really sound super enthusiastic and excited and oh your life is going to be amazing once you have this product just like no your life is still going to sort of suck but maybe it'll suck a little bit less (laughs) but now you can just concentrate on building your platform on paper bell instead of worrying about where you can't travel yes yes so we ended up launching in um i think it was late it was around may we launched around may 2020 and the good news was by may I think sort of the shock and the worst part of it was kind of over or people were a bit used to sort of the new normal. So I think if we had tried to launch in like February or March, that would have been, I don't know if that would have gone well, if we would have been able to strike the right tone. But by May, people were sort of looking for like, okay, I'm still going to have to run my business. I've got, you know, and sometimes, okay, now I really have to get more organized. I really have to get everything together. And it didn't feel so off to be, it's not over the top or anything, but yeah, it was a fun launch and we did it in a way that felt good to people. I saw it and I agree with you. It was fun. And I think, like you said, I think there are a lot of businesses actually, I remember building a course and I launched it and a week later, everyone went into quarantine. I thought, oh, yeah. this is, <laughs> this is going to have to wait a while. Yeah. <laughs> So yes, I suppose in terms of timing and for exactly what you're doing, which is online, it's not a horrendous time to do it. What would you say your leadership style is now and has it changed over time? Yeah, you know, I'm at an interesting point now because I have two extremes going on in my two different businesses. So with Meet Edgar, I usually talk to the president of the company uh, once a week, a 45-minute phone call. So it's very you know, top leadership, just in the sense that I'm not involved with the day-to-day of the business at all. It's very much the like 10,000 foot view. I'm talking to her about, okay, here's the strategy that we said we'd follow. Are we following that? What results are happening? And then on the other hand, with Paperbell, I am a hundred percent cleaning the virtual floors, you know, everything (laughs) that I'm doing all the customer service myself right now, answering all the emails. So uh, it's, it's just absolutely both ends of the spectrum. And that's actually very fun. I really love it right now because I get kind of best of both worlds because there's a lot of fun in getting your hands dirty and doing everything yourself because it's so fast and you get to do everything exactly as you want it. You know, with Meet Edgar, we have a marketing team. We have to like discuss ideas with several people and get everybody on board and like move stuff through the organization with paper battle. If I want to change the homepage, I just go into the homepage and I change it. 
and I don't have to talk to anybody about it. I don't have to wait for somebody else to do it. You know, I just, I just do it. So I think for me, I enjoy both sides of that business journey. I wouldn't want to be at this part that I am in Paperbell forever because of course you have limited flexibility. Somebody has to answer customer emails. So I can't just not work on the business for a yeah. month. I would have to bring someone in to do that. So I don't want to do this forever. So I'm kind of trying to enjoy that spectrum of enjoying it now and then knowing that it's not exactly where I want to be in the business long term. Are you working more with your husband now? Yeah, I mean, so that was that was a COVID problem is we were trying to launch this business together. But we literally had no time to work at the same time because we we're always trading off. Yeah. Right? You know, we're either like working or watching the kids. So when things open enough, up enough where we felt comfortable having a nanny come to our house, then we actually could, I mean, it did delay the launch of the business a bit. Then we actually could launch the business to have enough hours to work together. So yeah, now we have a nanny three days a week and that's our time to really um, get stuff done and, and work collaboratively. Do you have anyone that you sort of look for for guidance? Is it your husband or is there someone out there that mentors you? I mean, I have a lot of friends that run successful businesses and staff businesses. So uh, I definitely am always chatting to my friends about ideas. Uh, I love reading business books. I really love Keith Cunningham's books are probably my favorite uh, right now. He has a great one called The Road Less Stupid uh, about how not to make stupid choices <laughs> in your business. And the book has some really juicy stories about what has gone terribly wrong for him. He's like, here's how I lost millions of dollars in the 10 stupid mistakes I made one after the other, which is just very fun to read. Uh, but he also has lots of very practical ideas for like questions to consider in your business. So um, I would say I get mentored from friends and colleagues and I also get mentored from books that I read. Do you have a story about a stupid mistake that you've made in your business? Oh God, yes. Um, <laughs> let's see, which, which story to pick? Um, I mean, one mistake that we, was one of the hardest times with me and Edgar that we just didn't see coming. So uh, a few years ago, Twitter changed their terms and conditions to say that you could not repeat tweets ever at all. So Twitter's terms and conditions actually say that if you ever tweet a tweet that says good morning, if you send that same tweet four years later that says good morning, it's against their terms and conditions. It's just, they just made it very black and white. Obviously people do that and it's fine, but that's what their terms and conditions say. And as a tool that works with them, we have to be very strict about making sure we are absolutely by the book complying with all their terms. Otherwise we would risk our customers getting their accounts banned from Twitter and the social platforms, obviously not what you want from your social tool to be doing some dodgy kicked off social. So when Twitter made this change, it was a big deal for us because like you mentioned, repurposing things out of your content library is a big reason that people come to us. And so we're like, okay, we're not going to be able to do this on Twitter anymore. And we thought, this is bad. This is definitely bad news. But we also thought, okay, the good news is that this is also going to apply to all of our competitors. You know, no one will be able to repeat content. So maybe it will be a bit disappointing for people, but it won't be a big deal. 
And what ended up happening is we had a significant downturn in our business because it turned out that a chunk of our customers, because you know, we launched in 2014 where Twitter was really a primary tool. Now Twitter is at the bottom of our list as far as like most used social networks by our clients. They're much more active on Instagram, even LinkedIn over Twitter. But when we launched, I think we attracted a lot of people that were primarily Twitter marketers. And when this change came, people said there was just, it turned out there was a percentage of our customer base that said, that's why I used you guys. I wanted to repeat content on Twitter. So if you can't do that, you know, my Meet Edgar account isn't useful anymore. And it turned out to be a way bigger percentage than we expected. We just like didn't take it seriously enough at all. We're like, oh, sucks. what are you going to do? And we just didn't expect for like 20% of our customer base to leave. And the other thing we didn't anticipate is that it would be over many months because of the nature of our software. So if you've ever used Meet Edgar, you know that you have a queue that usually replenishes itself, but because you couldn't repeat on Twitter, your queue would go until you'd run out of content and then it would end. Well, people usually have a lot of content in their Meet Edgar account, so sometimes it was six months before their Twitter queue ran out, so they would be with us, so we're like, okay, okay, you know, in the first month, it's like, okay, people are going to leave, but we're going to know how many people have left, right? Because they found out about this change and then they'll leave. It turned out, ironically, because our software is great and keeps you going for months and months, that it just went on for so much longer than we thought it would because people would, you know, be like, okay, I'm still sending stuff on Twitter. And then, yeah, four months, six months, eight months later, they'd be like, wait, what, what happened on Twitter? Why is my stuff going on on Twitter? And it's like, oh, because your content ran out and we couldn't repeat it anymore. So it was just like being hit with a hammer for months and months and months. And that sucked. Yeah, I can imagine that really, that really did suck. <laughs> I mean, you don't even think about that when someone like Twitter changes their terms and conditions. I can't imagine that you would have thought about the severity of how that would affect your business, but clearly it did. It's also just the a part of the industry that we're in. We rely on these platforms and that it's just how it is. We just don't, we don't have a business without them. Would you say that you are where you want to be right now? A good question. No, um, I'm never satisfied <laughs> with where I am. I feel like, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners will, will hear that and be able to identify. I mean, I am, you know, I, I know that I've accomplished a lot and I'm very proud of the companies that I have built. Um, but I think like everyone, I certainly haven't achieved as much as I could, reached as many people as I could. And I think for a lot of high achieving people, you know, I was listening to a podcast this morning, actually, where, where he was talking about this. Um, and the story really struck me. Let me look up the name so that I can just share it. I had never heard of him before. I think he's more popular in the UK. Dan Bradbury. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Yeah. So I just discovered him and I was listening to his podcast this morning and he told the story of having this life changing event. And he said he was like 29 and he's like, I'd always been a six figure earner. So compared to everyone else, I just thought I was doing pretty well. But then I had this event and I realized that even though I'd earned six figures, I hadn't really built up any net worth. And for him, it was a big catalyst for change. And I really identified with the story in that when you are an ambitious person, 
you can kind of look around and you think, okay, I'm like, I, sh I, I should be satisfied because most people, you know, I have a multi-million dollar software business, right? Like it's a, it's a rare thing. And most people would think, yeah, why would you want to do anything more than that? And I think sometimes you sort of, or at least I do, will sort of second guess myself or sort of stop myself saying, oh, I've already, I've already done so much. I don't need, you know, to make it bigger. I don't need to do any more. But the truth is that there is desire within me to serve more people and reach more people and do more. And his story just made me think, yeah, just because you can look around you and say, oh, I've done more than other people doesn't mean that you've fulfilled the true desire within yourself. Yeah, I get that. I think, you know, I'm around a, a lot of ambitious people too. I'm ambitious mm -hmm. myself. And there's always that level of, okay, well, God, I didn't think that I could get here. And now that I'm here, it doesn't feel like it. And these keep going, these yeah. keep going. And do you ever take time just to say, wow, look what I've achieved. And actually, even though I want more out of life, uh, I'm actually pretty proud of what I've got. Well, I'll try to take a moment right now <laughs> you, since, you, since you brought it up. I mean, the truth is that I, I don't think I reflect on it enough. I, I think the way that I have balance for me is that I do, I, I am good about remembering that none of it really matters. You know, for me, it's my husband, it's my kids. If I needed to work at the coffee shop and we needed to live in a really tiny like council flat, I would be fine. You know what I mean? Like I have, I have my family, I have my health, like the businesses and the financial success and everything. I, I do genuinely and deeply believe that it doesn't really matter. It's not really what makes me happy. So I think that's how I kind of find balance for me is bringing myself back to remembering what, what is really important. What would you say is the big dream? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I am really happy with where I am now, life-wise. You know, I, I have a pretty good balance between my work and my family life. I think the next big dream for me is, um, you know, I've talked a few times about reaching more people. I think, yeah, for me, having companies that are just even more widely known, you know, I dream for Paperbell, for anyone who's a coach to just know about Paperbell relentlessly. You know, it's like, oh God, I've gotten 40, everything I touch as a coach is trying to send me this offer for Paperbell. Like everyone has told me I have to sign up for it. Their ads are just absolutely relentless. Like that they just cannot, you could not be a coach, you know, in the UK and America and not know about Paperbell. That's, that's my dream for it right now. Yeah. Tell me, I'm intrigued to know about your co-creation of B-School with Marie Folio. Yeah. So um, she and I actually built it together, launched it together. I used to teach it alongside of her. Um, and then I left it after doing it for like two or three years. Um, and that's something also that I'm very proud of because I've gotten to meet a lot of people that really have had their, you know, their lives and businesses really transformed by doing that program. So yeah, that's another, another big one. That program, I've known a lot of people that have gone through it and just absolutely find it invaluable. It's yeah, a, it's good. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great program. We are nearing the end of our chat. I have a few fun questions for you, some fun facts that people will want to know, I'm sure. But just tell us, where can people go and find you? 
Yeah, so you can find me. I, I still love Twitter since I'm one of those old school social media people. I love Twitter. I'm LKR on Twitter, um, Laura K. Roeder on Instagram, or if you Google Laura Roeder, uh, you'll see my blog. It's R-O-E-D-E-R, but I think you can type it in anyway. And of course, meet Edgar and Paperbell. Yes, meetedgar.com, paperbell.com. Brilliant. All right, let's go for a few I always say these are lighthearted questions and some people yeah. like really spend a lot of time on oh. this, but okay. um, they are meant to be lighthearted questions. So do you have a morning routine? I have a two-year-old. So yeah, my morning routine is she screams. I drag myself out of bed to get her out of the crib and then she sits and like hits me in the face until I wake up. That sounds like an amazing way to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favorite nonfiction book? Oh, I almost only read nonfiction books, so it's a big question. Um, I love memoirs. I'll tell you a recent one that I really loved. Oh, God, I have to get the name exactly right. You can put it in the show notes. It's called something like, and then we saw stars. Once more we saw stars, I think it is. I'm going to go with once more we saw stars. Uh, huge trigger warning. It's about the death of a child. It's a memoir about the death of a child. I was... Wow absolutely sobbing through the entire book um but it's just an incredibly beautiful powerful book okay brilliant thanks one piece of advice for anyone who is starting up their own business do it today whatever we we make so many reasons in our head why we have to wait longer or research more or later we're going to do this whether it's launching a business or taking the next step so whatever you know you need to do next I am talking to you. This is not theoretical. You're listening right now. Find how you can start that step or do that next step today. And favorite place in the UK? Oh. Um, I thought I would I narrow it down for you. <laughs> yeah, than I haven't visited that many places. I feel like I haven't found my favorite yet. Some of my favorites have been... Uh, Rye. I really loved visiting Rye. It's kind of small and random. And I thought it was very I've exciting. never been. <laughs> Come to Rye. Um, and I love Cambridge. And, you know, I'm going to be really basic, actually, and pick London. My real favorite place in the UK is London because it's really cool and fun to visit. Yeah. And you've spent a good amount of time there anyway. So yeah. you've got good knowledge of it. Uh, sun or snow? Oh my God, son, I, my husband is a skier and I am, I, first of all, why would you want to be cold on vacation? Second of all, why would you want to exercise all day if you're on vacation? Don't get it at all. That is the last thing I wanted to do on vacation. So <laughs> definitely fun for me. I mean, you've been lucky in the UK considering this COVID weather has been pretty good, but it's been nice. yeah. Yeah, normally not so great. <laughs> Um, your mission in life is? My mission in life is to, you know, make, make other people's lives a little bit better, I guess is how I think of it. Like raise nice children that are nice to people, give people a positive experience with the blog posts I create, with the software I create, you know, to have them walk away with their life a little bit better than, than when they came in. And what has being so driven given you? Um, you know, like I said earlier, I am very happy with my life right now. And I am a big believer in continuing to tweak, continuing to change, continuing 
to improve. And I think it's a very empowering idea, right? That you can change things about your life that, that you don't like. So I'm very grateful that I have put in the time to make those changes and go through that process to keep, you know, to keep bringing my life more towards my ideal. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so interesting to talk to you. I hope everything goes well with Paper Bell and continues to go well with me, Edgar. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of the COVID sunshine that Brighton gives you. <laughs> yes, thank you. I think Laura is a great example in so many ways, but in particular, showing what can be accomplished in a crisis, in a pandemic, in really not ideal circumstances. But now, listen, I know that you will say, well, she's got a thriving business and a following in her business. But here's the thing. She created something online from her home with another quite large business to oversee and a young family. For anyone out there who is at a crossroads, take a good look at what you have access to. More than ever, we have the ability to look at opportunities and grab them. You just need a laptop and a mindset that is focused and determined. And pretty quickly in our conversation, you can see that Laura just has that. I love the amount I get to learn from my guests, but here's what I took away from today. Number one, SaaS. Ah, oh, SaaS. Software as a service. I'm so grateful that Laura got to explain this to me today because without wanting to look like a complete idiot in front of a leading woman in tech, I googled and got into the wiki definition of SaaS and was left really more confused than when I started. Lots of tech jargon. So my learnings from this for anyone out there who is a non-techie person who is going on that journey of having their online business. SaaS software, simply put, is a data term of an online or cloud platform that replaces the service of a person or a team, usually with a monthly or yearly fee to access. Number two, the only real proof you can have on where your business is at is paying customers. Isn't that the truth? Validation from others only really comes from sales. Research and expert opinion is great, but you only know how successful an idea is if you just do it. Yeah, a lot of businesses just get stuck. And I often see this in trying to consistently analyze their lack of sales. And instead of using funds to try out different ideas, there is a comfort and a reliance on leaning on data or someone who is to advise. And the truth is, until you actually try and fail and try and fail and try and fail, you just never know. Now, I'm not saying that advice and mentorship, books, consultancy doesn't really have enormous value and great worth. But under guidance or advice, you just need to do the do. Number three, Having built up Meet Edgar over the years and launched Paper Bell only earlier this year in 2020, Laura's learning of launching a business in two different ways really are invaluable. And anyone out there launching a business, their program, their SaaS platform, I just wanted to reiterate some tips she had for you. Laura believes that especially if you have a small business and if you test and segment your market like she did with Meet Edgar, you spend too much time trading responses, trading data, landing pages and so on. So having a public launch with one marketing strategy is far more impactful to any customer. So firstly, use your highest converting page as your homepage. 
then instead of testing three different email sequences, just keep improving one. And finally, send to all. They will either want to buy or not. Number four, having an industry niche like Laura does with Paper Bell that really just focuses on online coaches makes it a lot easier for you to focus on advertising because you have a very specific group of people that you are trying to target. And trust me, that saves you time, it saves you money, it allows you to be more fluid in the way you're speaking to your audience. It's really, really invaluable to pick a niche, be as specific as you can be and stick with it. You're always going to find fault, but if you stick with it, you will be seen as that expert. Number five, and I couldn't actually leave this summary without talking about the books that Laura has mentioned. I haven't read any of them and they are now top of my list. But the first one is The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. That gives you the steps on how to focus on your selling, blowing away the competition. Number two, The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham, about how not to make stupid mistakes in your business. That is definitely one for me. And number three, Once More We Saw Stars by Jason Green. And that is a memoir of a life and love after unimaginable loss. So as Laura says, it comes with a bit of a warning. Number six. It's refreshing to hear Laura talk about her desire and wanting to do more. I believe a lot of us out there feel like as we imagine when we get to a certain point in our life financially or with our business, we will be content. And then when we get to that point and having the desire to want to do more, we have these sort of inner pangs, especially us Brits. We have these inner pangs of guilt and feeling greedy. But here's the thing, and I hope this really helps with some people out there. Along our journey, our mindset grows. What we know now in our growth of our business is vast in comparison to when we started. Or as we come up with an idea and then start a business that is just about to progress to launch, that has already opened our eyes to other learnings and possibilities. So what we know now, wherever you are in your business journey, will be just a fraction of the knowledge that you'll gain and the experience that you'll gain and you'll have under your belt in the next five years. Bear with me on this concept, but Stephen Covey talks about the circle of influence in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And if you understand that concept of focusing on inward growth and the influence that you can create inwardly, that circle you can influence starts to increase over time. And I really do believe that's the same with our desire. It's understanding and celebrating that point where you are at now and the hard work that you have put in to get where you are. But it's that that gives us the gift of knowing what more you can achieve. Appreciate the presence and the accomplishments and use that knowledge to expand your vision and grow further. The more you grow, the more you grow. I love how Laura just knows that none of it really matters. If she needs to go back to basics, she would be absolutely fine. And having that knowledge that nothing matters makes everything that you do matter even more. I hope that makes sense because I know that's a big mind shift for some people, but it's always important to grow your mind. And with that, the desire to consistently expand your horizons. Well, that's it again for me today. Thank you so much to the amazing Laura Roder. Um, thank you, Laura, for coming on the show. If you want to find out more information on Laura, about her businesses, about the books that she has recommended, please head over to my podcast page on my website. That's www.serenadodd.com. 
forward slash podcast. That's www.serenadodd.com forward slash podcast. And as always, if you are enjoying the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. There is so much content out there that... The more reviews you get, the more you can stand out, the better it will be for the podcast. And I just really want to continue our journey. So I'd really appreciate that. And as a thank you, I will select a reviewer each week to come on a 30 minute consultation with me to discuss a detailed strategy on how you achieve your 30 day goal. Trust me, it's great. So rate and review, go onto my website and click on Ask Serena. Let me know that you've done it and I will choose one reviewer per week for that one-on-one session with me. In the meantime, I hope you are taking lead of your day and making it so driven. (laughs) 